Connection Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers. Thank you so much for listening today. Today, I'm talking to Carrie Taransky. She is the award-winning author of more than 20 inspirational novels and novellas, and a winner of the ACFW Carroll Award, the International Digital Award, and the Holt Medallion. She loved traveling to England to research her latest Edwardian novels, including No Journey Too Far, No Ocean Too Wide, Across the Blue, and the Highland Hall series. Her novels have received starred reviews from ChristianBooks.com and Library Journal. They have been translated into several languages and enjoyed by readers around the world. Carrie and I talked about her latest book called No Journey Too Far, which released on June 8th. That's just two days ago. I really loved talking to Carrie. She is just a gem. So I hope you guys enjoy listening. Carrie, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to talk to you, Allison. Your novel, No Journey Too Far, releases June 8th. Actually, I think I'll be releasing this podcast after it's released, so it will have just released. Um, But I understand it's a sequel to No Ocean Too Wide. Can you tell me more about this upcoming book? Yes. um, There are two books in the McAllister family novels. The first was No Ocean Too Wide, as you said, and then the second that concludes, uh, I guess I learned a new word. It's called a duology (laughs) with two books that are connected. And so No Journey Too Far will conclude the story. So No Ocean Too Wide is um, the first book, and it talks about the McAllister family, who are a fictional family. But the events in the story are based on true events that I learned when I uh, discovered an interesting part of history about a child immigration program between Britain and Canada. And the children are called British home children. So I did create a fictional family Mm -hmm. to um, kind of play out the story and help readers to understand a little more what these children experienced and what it was like for them. So this is in the early 1900s, although the program itself started in uh, the late 1860s, and it carried on until 1939. So there are still just a few of these elderly British home children still alive. So I was able to listen to um, some video recordings of their experiences. And then, of course, I did a lot of research and reading of the true stories that the children, uh, things they experienced and kind of wove those into the books. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, So I read the very beginning of the novel. And even though I haven't even read the first one yet, I, it immediately drew me in and it also broke my heart at the beginning. Can you share what inspired you to write this series? I mean, you, you mentioned a little bit about the background, but what gave you the idea that you wanted to, to do this? Well, I've written several books that are set in England in the Edwardian era, which is the early 1900s through World War I. And so Mm -hmm. I'm always looking for new ideas of things that happened during that time period. And one day I was just scrolling through Facebook and I saw an image of three young children who looked like they were very poor. And I thought, I wonder who these children are. So I followed the post back to the group um, of descendants of British home children. And there are actually a few different groups of descendants of people who are trying to find out about the, um, their parents and grandparents who came to Canada in that way. And the interesting thing that I thought was um, 
a lot of these children, uh, they were very poorly treated and there was a real stigma against them. And so a lot of them kept their past a secret as far as how they came to Canada. And so Mm -hmm. they didn't even tell, some of them didn't even tell their own children or grandchildren that this is how they came because they were uh, kind of ashamed of that. They were made to feel that way. Wow. Um, The children were illegitimate. And then there was just a belief at that time, if someone was poor, that, you know, it was sinful and that that was passed down in the blood, they would say. And a lot of people believed that in Canada and in England. And so uh, the children were not always treated well. I don't know if you've ever read Anne of Green Gables or seen the the movies about her life. Well, she was a Canadian home child and she experienced a level of prejudice because of that. But these British home children were even more scorned because Mm. of just the belief that they came from a bad, bad situation and that they carried that the sin of their parents with them and they would be polluting the (laughs) the community that they came to. So it was a real challenging experience for them. Yeah. I, I love Anne of Green Gables and yeah, I, I can see the similarity there now that yeah. you mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that you got to speak with some of these home children who are still alive today. Um, can you tell me about that and about any other research you did? Oh, I, I really love research. So it was really exciting for me to be able yeah. to, I haven't personally spoken to them, but I've watched video okay. recordings and um, I've read several books where um, people have, you know, put down the events that they lived through and what their experiences were like. And I, and they're, you know, some of them are quite, you know, painful to read even. And they say 60% of these children were abused or neglected. It's just hard mm-hmm. for me to understand that. I mean, we I know it's a different time period, but I still, I just can't see how they could treat children. I mean, a lot of them were made to sleep in the barn. So even when they came, you're talking about when they came to Canada. Yeah, when they families. came to Canada. Yeah. So wow. there were very few that were adopted. Most were, um, they came with an indentured contract where they would actually be taken into a family. The people only had to fill out a form and pay about $3. And then they could oh take goodness. a child. And usually what they took them to do was to work the boys on the farm and the girls as domestics. And Canada was, you know, a huge open country at that time with a lot of farms. And um, so they, they needed population, they needed workers. And so they, they had these children come and go to work. So that's what most of them did. And they had to work under this contract, the boys until they were 18. And some girls were released at 18, but some girls had to work until they were 21 before they were released. Wow. And so a lot of them, I, I just was reading a little bit about the first book and, and the second book. I read the beginning, as I said, but um, it sounds like maybe they weren't orphans. They were um, presented as though they were orphans, but they weren't always, that wasn't always the case. Is that correct? That's right. They, that they were not always orphans. I, I forget what the percentage is, but a lot of them had one living parent or even two living parents, but it was just, they were taken out of poor situations from the street, from the workhouses, and then from poor families. And there was a belief at that time that um, these children's homes, which were set up, I think, with very good intentions in Britain to help children, you know, who were on the street and in workhouses, but they could go into homes where there was like a illegitimate child and just take the child away. And that was, they didn't have to have the parents' permission. They had the legal right to do that. And then they could also send them to Canada and Australia and some places in um, Africa. 
they could be sent without the parent. You know, if there was a living parent, they didn't even need mm-hmm. their permission. They would actually oh send what's called a sailing letter after they set sail that your child has now been wow. sent to Canada or Australia or wherever. And so wow. there was just so many children that, you know, they, they wanted to keep the door front door open to these children's homes, but they couldn't keep taking them and taking them in. They had to find, they felt they had to find something, you know, for these children to do. And I, I believe they, most of them started out with good intentions. A lot of them were Christian people that started the children's homes mm-hmm. and they wanted to, um, you know, offer them some kind of a future. So um, that's one option that they did. Right. I was going to ask what their motive was in sending them, but it was, they were becoming too crowded in England and they needed a place to go. Yeah. Okay. Um, So how did you manage to write so proficiently about Canada? Do you have like background there or have you spent much time there or was it just pure research? Um, my husband's family is from Canada, right in the area where many oh. of these children were sent. So that's interesting. So I have been, uh, I have been there. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, I did do a lot of research and actually, um, four other Canadian authors helped me with some of my research. Cause I wrote most of this during pandemic year. So I wasn't able to travel there, but, right. um, I, you know, I did a lot of research online, which I really enjoy. And we're so grateful that I live, you know, in a time period when I can do so much online. Yes. And uh, then I did, when I had questions about different things, I, I contacted my Canadian author friends and asked them. And some of them were so kind just to do some of that research personally, send me photographs and different, uh, you know, bits of information to help me. Like, what do you call the police there? And what were the jail systems like? And, you know, what's blooming mm. at this time of year? So I wanted to get that right. So I'm really thankful for their help. Yeah, that's wonderful. So what do you hope readers will gain from by reading this book? <laughs> I hope that they will um, be entertained and be swept away to another time period. But I also hope they'll be inspired and that they will... Um, you know, think about, uh, you know, families that are in need and children in need, because it's not something that um, stopped 100 years ago. There's still children and families in need. And there right. are ways that we can reach out. And I, I am a foster adoptive parent. My two youngest of my five were adopted through the foster care system. Oh, wow. And they're adults now, lovely young ladies. Mm-hmm. And um, so I have a little bit, of, you know, I have a heart for children. And right. for families that are going through a difficult time and a little bit of experience having them in our home. Um, they came when they were three, almost turning four, and had been through some really rough times before that. So mm-hmm. I kind of got an experience there of what it's like for a child to come into a new family and try to assimilate and, and um, you know, right. care and concern yeah. for the mother still living. And they're, mm-hmm. they're reconnected, that kind of thing. So anyway, it's just a lot involved in, in that type of uh situation in our family, but it's been good. It's been a blessing. Yeah. I actually, that's interesting. I I mentioned this in another interview that hasn't aired yet. My parents were foster parents and adopted four of their foster children. So I also have, um, you know, experienced that bringing siblings into the family. Yeah. It's great. And I'm so thankful for those siblings. It's, they're such a blessing. Um, so can you tell me about your writing career? How did you get started and how did you get that first book contract? 
And kind of what did you do before? Was there before? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, um, I homeschooled my five children. Mm. And they're all grown and launched now. And, and they're all young adults. And while we were um, doing our homeschooling, I, we did a lot of reading aloud. We read a lot of historical fiction. And that really sparked my interest to see that history was not just boring dates and, you know, wars and, you know, lists of right. people, but there were really interesting stories. And so that really um, helped me to have an interest in historical fiction. Um, I, our whole family was, took a year um, and went to Kenya, Africa, and we spent our, a year there when the, the children were younger. And we had a great experience. And when I came mm -hmm. back, I missed it so much. I thought, oh, maybe if I wrote a story that was set there, I could kind of relive my experiences. So yeah. I didn't know anything about fiction writing. So I just poured out a story. <laughs> and I went to my first writer's conference shortly after. And at this conference, everyone turns in a chapter and everyone meets with an editor. So mm. I did that. And I happened to be um, connected at the conference. My appointment was with a very high uh, placed editor, which was a shame because the editor was not in a great mood that day. And she just drew a red line down the side of the page. And she said, I can't even critique this. You need to go learn how to write. Oh, no. So that was uh, really difficult. I was very embarrassed at the time, you know, and I had never shown my yeah. writing really to anyone. But she was right. I needed to go learn how to write. And so I, I, you know, prayed about it and thought about it after that. And then the Lord kind of put some different people in my life. I, I wrote a, a, a letter to an email to Elizabeth White. And she's an author that I really admired and mm -hmm. asked her if she had advice for me. And at the time, American Christian Fiction Writers was just beginning. And she said, oh, oh. I've heard of this new organization. This was in 2000. Why don't you, you know, join them and you can c connect with others who want to write and you can learn some things there. So I did. I joined the very first year that they were um, online and, and had an email loop, that kind of thing, and went to the first conference. And I met some friends there that we started a critique group together. And uh, at the time, none of us were published. And, and since that time, all of us are multi-published. And one has even gone on to be a, becoming a literary agent. So it's it was a great experience for me. I still am very involved with ACFW. So I, I love ACFW. I learned a lot through going to the conferences and being involved in the critique groups and entering contests, that kind of thing. And I, I met a lady who was a, like a, became a mentor to me, a really wonderful author. And she helped me um, get my first contract in a novella collection. Oh, and, nice. And that with Barber and that um, kind of was my first one. And then I right, soon after that, I, I was contracted with Love Inspired and wrote mm -hmm. four books for them. And uh, after that, I really wanted to write longer historical novels. And so I was at a librarian's conference in 2012. And I saw an editor that I had met once at ACFW. And I thought, oh, here's my chance. I'm going to go over there and talk to her. <laughs> so I went and I just you know, visited with her for a few minutes. And then I asked her, you know, what are you looking for? And she said, oh, well, you know, Downton Abbey has just become very popular. And I would love to see uh, maybe an English historical novel set uh, in the same time period as Downton Abbey. Maybe it could have a heroine like Jane Eyre with a brooding hero with a secret. I said, oh, oh that's a great idea. And um, <laughs> she, when we talked some more and I, I went, was I was at the conference with another author friend, Kathy Golke.
And I was talking mm-hmm. to her about it, but and I said, "Oh, it's a great idea, but I don't know anything about England a hundred years ago. How could I? How could I write that and let it, you know, get it right?" And she said, "Well, you know, the book that she had just written called Promise Me This about a young boy who stows away on the Titanic. It's a great story." Mm. She said, "I have a lot of research books from that time period. You could do this. It's a great idea. You should try." So with her encouragement, I, I I watched some more Downton Abbey and I read some more books and tried to learn everything I could about the Edwardian era in England. And then I submitted a proposal through my agent and uh, it was, I was contracted by Waterbrook. So I've been with them for the last seven books and okay. kind of staying in that uh, Edwardian England time period. Right. Now you also, I think you also do contemporary fiction. Is that right? I did contemporary fiction first. And so some of the ones that have come out recently are reprints of those early books where I have the rights back. And so I, 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 um, am publishing them myself. Okay. Putting new covers on them and revising and updating them so that they've, you know, fit today. Right. So I do like contemporary and, um, actually the book I am working on now is going to be a time slip where it's going to have a contemporary story and a historical oh, story woven together. I so love those. I'm going to use, you know, my background in both of those and try to try a new genre, to put the contemporary and the historical together. Yes. Wonderful. Um, so your bio states that you are a winner of the ACFW Carroll Award, the Holt Medallion, and the International Digital Award. Can you tell me about winning those awards? What books did you win them for and what was that like? Uh, let's see. The Carol Award is for the novella category for my, a novella that was called The Trusting Heart. Mm. It's uh, about a young Swedish girl who goes to Wyoming as a mail order bride. But when she gets there, her groom is missing. <laughs> so oh. that was a, a really a fun story to write. It has some yeah. humor and Swedish Christmas traditions. So I really enjoyed writing that one. And that's the one that won the Carol Award. Oh, neat. The Holt Medallion is for my English historical Shine Like the Dawn, which is a mm. standalone um, novel that has a touch of mystery as well as family drama, romance, and inspiration set in Edwardian England. And then the Digital Award is for um, one of my earlier contemporary novels that I self-published called Surrendered Hearts. And this is kind of interesting. I had submitted it to Love Inspired because I was writing for them at the time. But the editor said she felt it was uh, it didn't fit their line. And I was so disappointed mm. because I had put in a, a proposal that she'd accepted and it was just like the proposal. I didn't change anything. So I thought, well, that's right. not fair. How could she change her mind after I wrote the whole book? <laughs> and I really loved the story. It's about a girl who survives a a fire and she has some scars on her neck and arm and she hides those because she doesn't want anybody to see them. And it's Mm. just her, her journey of coming to faith and also working through, um, you know, recovery from what is true beauty, that kind of thing. So I self published Uh, that novel back in 2011. And that's the one that won the international digital award. It was when eBooks were just becoming, uh, easier for authors to produce themselves. So it was really fun to try something new like that. So I jumped right in in 2011 and and uh, published that book and then entered, entered it in a contest and it happened to win. Wow, that's wonderful. Um, so what was that like when, especially I'm thinking the Carol Award, 
and then the Holt Medallion, since that was for your historical fiction, what was that like to win those awards? Uh, Well, it's very affirming. It's, you know, you write when you're writing, you're writing alone by yourself. And it's fun to hear emails and, you know, you get emails from people thanking you for your work or telling you what they thought of it. And that's wonderful. So I don't know, winning an award is kind of a nice affirmation and encouragement just to press on that you are, um, your book is touching people's hearts and they appreciate the story. So it's just an encouragement for me. And I suppose it helps when you put it on a proposal for your next book that you're sending in that you have these awards. And so it's like somebody else says, besides your grandma, that they like your book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is nice. So are you writing something new right now? Yeah. I'm working on a slip time called, um, Oh, that's, I'm sorry. You did mention that. That's okay. The working title is uh, a shepherd's heart and it's said in the, the Lake District of England, and I was able to go there on a research trip a few years ago, and I just really mm. fell in love with the area. It's so beautiful. I don't know if you ever watched the movie Miss Potter about Beatrix Potter. Yes, I have. Yeah, well, that's the area, and then, and she is okay. one that helped um, kind of prompt the whole preservation of the natural beauty there. So it's right. still a very beautiful area, and a lot of people love to go there for. Um, you know, holiday or vacation. And so I, I thought, oh, it's such a pretty area. I'd love to set a story there. So I just did a lot of research about the area. And mm-hmm. there is a Christian um, kind of a convention that has a history in that area that people attended every summer, kind of like we had um, camp meetings here in the United States. Well, in England, they have summer conventions where Christians would get together. And there, it's called the Kazakh Convention. And mm. it was a great inspiration for missionaries like Amy Carmichael, who who went to India, and many missionaries right. who went to China, Hudson Taylor, that kind of thing. And so I thought, oh, it'd be fun to weave in the history of that convention um, with the beauty of the area. And there's also a lot of sheep um, farming there. And even Beatrix Potter, who who lived there until almost, um, I think, until World War II, she was big into sheep, growing sheep and, and prize-winning mm-hmm. sheep, that kind of thing. And I thought, so I'm going to learn more about shepherding and sheep and weave that into the story. So uh, the historical hero is going to be from a family who has a, uh, a big sheep farm. And the okay. heroine is going to be from a, a wealthy, her grandfather is wealthy, but... Um, she, her father, the heroine's father is a religious speaker who would have been maybe ha- perhaps at a conference like the Keswick Convention kind of thing, a speaker. But I was going to have, I'm going to have him actually be leading a double life and he dies early in the story. And then the heroine, the daughter discovers letters that, that she finds out that he's leading this double life. And oh she's heartbroken and it really challenges her faith because she adored her father and just believed, you know, he was like Jesus walking on earth kind of thing. So mm-hmm. right after I started writing this, the whole situation with Ravi Zacharias came out and I thought, oh, this is, oh. This is timely because it, it just, it helps us think through the area of what, how do we recover when someone we admired and respected even loved so much as she did her father in the story, um, when they let you down and they are not, you know, living up to what they taught, that kind of thing. Right. How, how do you, live through that? And what do you learn from that? And how, how do you maintain your faith? So I'm going to explore all that as I write the historical part. And then the contemporary part um, fits in with that and has a, a girl who is um, an art 
um, evaluator for art and antiques. And she's going to go to this area of the Lake District and her, between her reading her grandmother's diaries, she's going to connect with the, the historical story and she'll have some forgiving of her father to do also. So hopefully mm-hmm. I can move it all together. I have never done a time slip. So it'll be fun to see, try something new and learn how to do that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And that's such an important message too. That's really wonderful that you're bringing, bringing that to the world. I'm sure you can do it. It is, um, the time slip is daunting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of my stories, the last, I mean, with no ocean too wide and no journey too far, I had at least four points of view and the Mm -hmm. the characters are in different places. So I've had experience with weaving stories together with characters being in different places. So that kind of helps me with the time slip element too. Yes. And that I've learned you know, how to do that. Although sometimes I drive my editor crazy and she's saying, your calendar doesn't work. You have to revise this. So I I do have a little trouble with that, but I'm trying some new methods to try to keep my story straight so that I can, um, I won't drive my editor crazy. Right. Oh, that's good. Um, So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Oh, I love that question. I think that uh, we can learn so much as we look back in history about how people, um, you know, went through different challenges and how their they <clears throat> look to to the Lord and their faith to to work through those challenges. I think that's important. And mm-hmm. there are, you know, history the same issues seem to come up over and over. And if we can look back and see how Uh, people handle those situations in the past, I think that can help us in the present. And I always try, you know, in my stories that the characters are working through different issues. And I try to bring the faith element in there in different ways that are realistic so that it's not a preaching type of story, but it's they're finding answers to the questions that they're facing in their life. And I'm always hopeful that readers will identify with that. And I do get emails that many of them do and that it yes. has been helpful to them to think through the same issues that the character is going through or something similar. And then to see how they uh, weave their faith into their life and how it impacts them. So that's kind of my hope. And it's important to look back in history and see what we can learn as we're moving forward. Yes, absolutely. And you're a wonderful writer. So I'm sure that you, you know, your readers really glean from your books. Sometimes I get emails where a reader will mention something that they got out of the story. Like one time I got one from a young woman who was a uh, hairstylist and she said uh, that a customer had given her one of my contemporary stories. And Mm. she said, it was a rainy day and I didn't have anything to do. And I thought, oh, (laughs) I kind of rolled my eyes when she gave me this book. But then I thought, well, I don't have anything to do. I don't have any more customers. I'm going to see if this is interesting. So she said she started reading, and she was very much, um, you know, into the story. And she stayed up late that next next night to try to finish it because she wanted to see what would happen. And in this story, the, um, the the heroine has been her father is out of her life for many years, and then he kind of tracks her down and sends her a letter, and she has to decide how she'll respond to this letter. She she thought that you know she'd be excited and want to 
reconnect. But then she thought, what if he hurts me again? And can mm-hmm. I forgive him and, and try to have a relationship with him? And so the the young hairstylist said to me, you know, I have somebody in my life that I need to forgive. And so she said, I haven't prayed for a long time. But when I got done with your book, I bowed my head and I prayed. And then I went over to the phone and I made the phone call. Oh, wow. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That is so special that she would tell me that and have that impact on her. And another time, a young woman also wrote and said that she was a new believer and that she really didn't know how to pray. But in my books, I I include some of my characters saying a prayer or thinking, you know, their thoughts Mm -hmm. as they talk to God, that kind of a thing. And so she said that um, that my book was helping her learn how to pray. And I'm thinking, I never intended that. That has to be, you know, God working in her life. And I'm glad that for me, it was just natural because if my, my character's a Christian and they have a relationship with God, they're going to pray when they're having, you know, a challenge or something they're facing. So right. it wasn't like I put it in there to try to teach someone how to pray. I just thought, well, that's what this character would do in this situation. So I, I was grateful to know that that was meaningful for somebody and that God could use fiction, a story yes. that really captures their heart and and prompt them, you know, spiritually to um, consider their faith and think about their connection to God and prayer. So I was grateful for that. Yes, that's wonderful. So, Carrie, what is the best way for listeners to follow you online? Well, the best way would probably be to visit my website and sign up for my mm-hmm. email newsletter. So it's just my name, CarrieTaransky.com. And I, I send out an email newsletter usually every month, once a month. And I always do giveaways and have fun, um, you know, book news with cover reveals. And I often yeah. share recipes and encouraging articles. And um, I don't like spam you with a lot lot of stuff it's just once a month or sometimes every other month or when i have a new book release so or a sale that kind of thing so that's probably the best way to stay in touch but i'm also on social media on facebook and instagram i look Mm -hmm. on twitter once in a while but not very often so if you really want to see what's going on with me it's good to check in with instagram and facebook and i have um I teamed up with Carolyn Miller, who also writes English historical. She writes Regency novels. She and mm. I have a Facebook group called Inspirational UK Dash Readers Books and More. And we have a fun time there with there's several authors now have joined us. And each Tuesday we have Takeover Tuesday, a new author will come on and they'll post several posts about their books and do a giveaway and a little video. And then in between, we'll post kind of a, uh, a topic of conversation each day of the week. And then weekends are open for authors um, to post more about their books with links, that kind of thing. But during the week, it's just fun conversation, photos, and oh, uh, and whatever the topic is for the day. So today, I think Carolyn was... Uh, ask people to do one word for England, one word for Ireland, one word for Scotland, and one word for Wales, and tell us what you think of them. So that was really fun. I've seen a lot of people respond to that. Another thing we had, um, you know, has anybody been to Bath? You know, show us your pictures, because one of the books on a takeover Tuesday was set in Bath, so we kind of follow whatever the author had that week. So that's been fun, too, to connect with readers that way. Right. That's great. So thank you so much for being with us today, Carrie. Well, thank you, Allison. This has been fun. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening. Without you, this podcast would not exist. 
If you enjoy this podcast, I have a few requests of you. First of all, subscribe so that you get a new episode every week in your whatever app you use to listen. And then also, if you could leave a star rating and review for the podcast, that would be so helpful. Please go to the show notes if you want to find Carrie's book. And there are other links there that you might find of interest. You can join our podcast group on Facebook. It's called Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group. That's a great way for me to interact with you if you listen to the show. And also, if you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon page. It's new, and we're trying to build our community on there. I would love for you to visit it and to check out some of the benefits you can get by supporting the show. It can be found at www.patreon.com slash Allison Treat. Just remember that Allison has one L. So it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Allison Treat, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. So friends, let me leave you with a quote. John W. Gardner said, history never looks like history when you are living through it. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends. And I will talk to you again next week.